Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. And I say to my fellow Australians, thank you for this extraordinary honour. Okay, good morning and welcome to the program. A brand new week and a brand new Australia, if you like, certainly politically, on this 23rd day of May. Marcus Paul in the morning around Australia here on starterfm.com.au on the iHeartRadio platform. Tune in and, of course, on the Prawncast. Well, Australia has spoken. And Anthony Albanese will officially be Australia's 31st Prime Minister. He'll be sworn in today at Government House before jetting off on his first overseas visit. The Labor leader has emerged victorious over Scott Morrison after an epic six-week election campaign, ending the coalition's almost decade-long reign. Addressing the media pack as he left his Marrickville home to head to an event at Canterbury-Hulston Park RSL with his partner Jody Hayden, Albo said the win was an incredible honour. He said, I want to unite people. People want to come together, to look for common interests, to look towards the sense of common purpose. He said, I think people have had enough of division. What they want is to come together as a nation, and I intend to lead that. I want to bring Australians together. I want to seek our common purpose and promote unity and optimism, not fear and division. Mr Albanese then, of course, headed off to address his crowd of exuberant supporters, including his son Nathan and also his ex-wife and former Deputy Premier of New South Wales, Carmel Tebbit who were at the gathered venue in his electorate of Graindler in Sydney's inner west. They were all there. Albo became emotional as he took the stage amid chants of Albo, Albo, and immediately thanked Australia for the extraordinary honour. He said, Tonight the Australian people have voted for change. I am humbled by this victory, and I am honoured to be given the opportunity to serve as the 31st Prime Minister of Australia. He said that his Labor team will work every day to bring Australians together and he will lead a government worthy of the people of Australia, a government as courageous and hardworking and caring as the Australian people are themselves. And I can promise all Australians this, no matter how you voted today, the government I lead will respect every one of you every day. He thanks outgoing Prime Minister Scott Morrison for his gracious congratulations and for his service before acknowledging his own humble beginnings. It was a great speech. Now, earlier in the night, outgoing Prime Minister Scott Morrison fronted his supporters to concede defeat, acknowledging that it was a difficult night for Liberals and Nationals around the country. It's a difficult night for Liberals and Nationals around the country as nights like this always are. He said, and I quote tonight, I have spoken to the Leader of the Opposition and the incoming Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, and I've congratulated him on his election victory this evening. Uh, ScoMo also said, in this country, at a time like this, when we look around the world, and in particular, when we see those in the Ukraine fighting for their very freedom and liberty, I think on a night like tonight, we can reflect on the greatness of our democracy. 
Going into the election, of course, the Coalition had 75 seats to Labor's 68, plus eight crossbenchers. But the so-called Teal independents have pulled off a stunning upset, sealing a string of high-profile, safe Liberal seats. Well, what do we make of Anthony Albanese's stunning rise? The son of a single mum who grew up in an inner-city public housing estate, Anthony Norman Albanese famously overcame a humble childhood to emerge as one of the most powerful players in Australian politics over a 26-year career. Mr Albanese first won the seat of Graindler in Sydney's inner west way back in 1996. And since then, he has steadily risen through the ranks of the ALP, having been first appointed to the Shadow Cabinet back in 2001. In June 2013, he was elected as Deputy Leader of the Labor Party and a day later was sworn in as Deputy Prime Minister, a role he held until Labor's defeat at the 2013 election. He then announced his candidacy as leader, although Bill Shorten ultimately succeeded after a month-long contest that was the first to involve a combined vote of MPs and rank-and-file members. While Anthony Albanese won a large majority of the membership at the time, Bill Shorten secured more MP votes and was able to nab the top job. Mr Albanese was then appointed Shadow Minister for Infrastructure and Transport and Shadow Minister for Tourism and later Shadow Minister for Cities. Following Shorten's resignation after the 2019 election, uh, and that's the election that Labor lost, of course, Albo was elected as leader unopposed after Chris Bowen pulled out of the race. While critics have blasted Anthony Albanese's election campaign stumbles and slammed a perceived lack of big policy announcements, the 59-year-old has obviously done an impressive job trouncing Scott Morrison in the first and last leader's debate while the second ended in a tie before finally defeating him at the polls over the weekend. Much to talk about this morning, and I'll include a lot of your comments that you've made on the Facebook page. I do appreciate them. Thank you very much. We'll get into all of it in just a couple of moments. The latest news, of course, as always, from Air News. We'll update you on uh, on any of the developments uh, that we hear this morning. Uh, also, of course, some great tunes. So let's get into it on this Monday morning, the 23rd day of May. Marcus Paul in the morning. I want every parent to be able to tell their child, no matter where you live or where you come from, in Australia the doors of opportunity are open to us all. And like every other Labor government, we'll just widen that door a bit more. Friends, we have made history tonight. And tomorrow, together, we begin the work of building a better future. A better future for all Australians. Thank you very much.
If you like, you can give me a call. What's the number, Marcus? 0406521250. Anytime, 24-7. Call me on. Have your say on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Show. On Starter FM. Okay, welcome back on this Monday morning, the 23rd day of May. Marcus Paul in the morning. Of course, our number, if you would like to leave any comments, so you can dial us 24-7, of course. That telephone number, 0406521250. And as always, you can leave your comments on our Facebook page, as many of you done, had thousands of comments on all of the election stories we put up over the weekend. We appreciate it. Anthony Albanese, as you know, will officially be sworn in this morning as Australia's 31st Prime Minister after he emerged victorious on Saturday night to end the coalition's almost decade-long hold on power. Scott Morrison conceded defeat after a wave of key seats fell to Labor, the Greens and, of course, the Independents. He will step down as leader of the party at the next party room meeting. I will be handing over the leadership at the next party room meeting to ensure that the party can be taken forward under new leadership, which is the appropriate thing to do. Now, who will replace Scott Morrison and become the incoming opposition leader? Well, it probably won't be Josh Frydenberg. He won't be there. Peter Dutton, I would suggest. I'll get into that story very soon. He's talented, he's so well-bred. He's Mr. Potato Head. He's more fun than any spud should be. All right, well, Labor, of course, has won 77 seats to form majority governments. That's enough to form a majority. That's uh, that prediction coming in around lunchtime yesterday from the Australian newspaper. A batch of new seats were called on Sunday morning, pushing Labor to 77. One more than the 76 required to avert the prospect of a hung or minority government. Among the races called on Sunday were the Sydney seat of Benelong, where Labor's Jerome Laxell is the winner over the Liberal Simon Kennedy, and the Victorian seat of Deakin, where Michael Sukar has been unseated by Matt Gregg. Um, at this stage, a number of seats still remain in doubt. Uh, Lions in Tasmania, uh, which is held by the ALP. Menzies, held by the Libs in Victoria. Moore in WA, held by the Liberals in Sturt in South Australia, also held by the outgoing government. It is a bitter blow for Scott Morrison and the Coalition, which will hand over power to Labor for the first time in nearly a decade, nine years. Labor's fortunes changed with a Liberal wipeout in Melbourne that all but decided the election. A look at the electoral map shows it clearly. A sea of red seats that experts say reflects a rejection of the Morrison government which, of course, as you will recall, chastised Victorians during the pandemic. Scott Morrison, then Health Minister Greg Hunt and outgoing Treasurer Josh Frydenberg repeatedly urged Labor Premier Daniel Andrews to follow in New South Wales' footsteps and open up despite Victoria suffering a deadly second wave that cost around 800 lives. Now, many, including the ABC's Patricia Carvalis, wrote last year about the stark contrast in the treatment of New South Wales and Victoria. She wrote, There's little question that the language dish to both states was spectacularly different. 
All right, well, Jason Thompson, a professor at the University of Melbourne, wrote over the weekend that Victoria and WA, two diametrically opposed states on any other day, are going to deliver this because their leaders unapologetically focused on protecting citizens' health and welfare over the last two years, not just protecting the economy. While Liberal Senator Jane Hume told Nine's election panel that her party had a strategy to play on what was perceived to be the discontented among Victorians at long lockdowns, she said, we thought there would be a bigger Dan Andrews effect in Victoria, and there hasn't been. We've had such a negative feedback about those harsh lockdowns in Victoria, and we thought that may pay play out in those outer suburban areas, clearly it didn't. Look, the Labor Party's primary vote actually went down in Victoria by roughly 4%, something Labor MP Richard Marle said the party would unpack. But he said popular independents running in Victoria received strong support, and that led to a splintering of the primary vote across the board. That can be seen in key Liberal seats that fell to independents. Josh Frydenberg, whose seat in Kuyong was once safe for the Liberals, is headed to independent Monique Ryan. The same happened in Goldstein, where Tim Wilson was overcome by former ABC journalist turned independent Zoe Daniel. It must be noted that Wilson has yet to concede, well he hadn't as of late last night, despite Daniel delivering her victory speech over the weekend on Saturday night. Well, what about the Greens? The Greens held on to the seat of Melbourne, where Adam Bant, of course, has strong support. The mood in Melbourne is clear, and it is reflected in a sea of red. Just Alan Tudge's seat of Aston remains for the Liberals in Melbourne. What was once Liberal heartland appears to be no more, and whoever steps in as party leader will need to address that shift almost immediately. Well, what about controversial Liberal candidate Catherine Deves? She was wiped out in the election race for Warringah on Sydney's northern beaches, but the so-called captain's pick says she is going nowhere. Deves, who was selected, of course, by the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, to represent the party in the electorate that takes in Manly and some of Sydney's most sought-after real estate, was beaten easily by independent Zali Stegall. Deves suffered a 6.6% primary swing away from the Liberals in Warringah, a result that is worse than Tony Abbott performed in the last election. But she's unrepentant. Uh, the aspiring politician says she's not being dissuaded by the result. She told Sky News that uh, at a federal level, they have been eviscerated and the Liberal Party needs to get back to its traditional values. There's going to be a reckoning at a federal level, she said. I would not be surprised if it also happens at a state level. She said she was ready to withstand the storm and run again. I'm not going anywhere, she said. All right, well, France has not forgotten that the Prime Minister scrapped that deal to purchase submarines. The country's outgoing Foreign Minister, Jean-Yves Le Drain, responded to news that Morrison's run as Australian Prime Minister was over. I can't stop myself from saying that the defeat of Scott Morrison suits me very well, is what he said. He described the decision by Morrison's team to scrap a deal worth 90 billion Australian dollars last year and award a contract instead to the United States as brutality and cynicism, and I would even be tempted to say of unequivocal incompetence. 
French President Emmanuel Macron used to bro- used the broken deal, of course, to accuse Scott Morrison of lying to him, a suggestion the outgoing Prime Minister rejected. All right, well, the Liberals are licking their wounds, and I noticed that former Liberal Party frontbencher Julie Bishop has delivered a harsh lesson to outgoing Prime Minister Scott Morrison about exactly what cost him the election in her mind. She was on Nine's broadcast of the election on Saturday night and Julie Bishop said Australia's women were behind the result. Women did not see their concerns and interests reflected by a party led by Scott Morrison in coalition with Barnaby Joyce. Well, I can't believe it. For the first time, I'm finding myself agreeing with Julie Bishop. We have no, we have not mentioned at this point the impact of Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins. They changed the narrative when they exposed an ugly side to the workplace in Canberra. That resonated with women. Well, she's right. Mostly female, teal independents helped shift the balance of power after rolling high-profile Liberal MPs, as I mentioned earlier. Among them, Zoe Daniel, who's defeated Tim Wilson in the former Liberal stronghold, a stronghold of Goldstein, and Allegra Spender, who beat Dave Sharma in Wentworth. While Dr Monique Ryan of course, appears poised to win in Kuyong, where Josh Frydenberg has held control of the safe Liberal seat. Alrighty, well, what do you make of it all? Let me know. 0406521250. The Marcus Paul in the Morning open line is there for you to comment at any time you like. And, of course, you can also have your say on the Facebook page. Hey, Marcus, how are you going? It's Mark here. Um, I like to draw the uh, issues of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, um, all of the issues going on there, and just a lot of very nasty government policies going on. Um, basically, in short, check out ScoMo, the bulldozer.com, just repeating, ScoMo, the bulldozer.com. And, uh, yeah, um, me as a visually impaired person recently had my carers package completely denied and uh, the NOS just couldn't have cared less. So, yeah, I'm just uh, hoping that we get a change of government that will have a bit more compassion towards us people with disabilities. Thanks a lot. Bye. G'day, Marcus. It doesn't get much better than this, mate, this week. Is your week. It's the week where everything seems so promising. It's the week where anything is still possible. It's the week where everyone can get wrapped up in their guy because their guy is going to win on Saturday. But come Sunday, it's going to be a different story for some people and they're not going to be celebrating so much. So I guess enjoy this week, savour it, lap it up because you don't want to be the Democrat come Sunday when Donald Trump wins the election. So let's hope Albo can do something. Otherwise, mate, oh, it's going to be a sad, sad state of... Sorry, your fans. For all the prawns. Well, I got Omicron, mate. I'm not sure if you could tell. Yeah, Marcus, you get maxed up, mate, but you still get Omicron. Oh, we've got an election to fight. Let's go for it. All the best, Marcus. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yep, welcome back on this Monday, the 23rd day of May, and the fallout from the federal election continues. Who will be the next Liberal leader and lead the next three years of opposition? 
Well, at one stage on Saturday night, Labor's Ali France looks set to continue the trend of key Liberal frontbenchers losing their seats. She was ahead of Peter Dutton in the Brisbane seat of Dixon, but things change very quickly. Uh, there are plenty of reports, of course, yesterday that Peter Dutton will inherit the leadership role left behind. Outgoing Treasurer Josh Frydenberg, once tipped to take over from Scott Morrison, appears very likely to lose his gig on the back of a huge swing to pour towards independent Monique Ryan in Kuyong. A tearful Josh Frydenberg all but gave his concession speech, flanked by family, admitting after 10 o'clock on Saturday night it would be difficult to hold on, even as he said there would be more votes to be counted. So while it's mathematically possible that we win in Kuyong, it's definitely difficult, is what he said. To be the deputy leader of our party has been an enormous privilege and to serve as Scott Morrison's deputy, a person of great decency, a person who loves his family, a person who is of deep faith and a person who has shown extraordinary leadership in an extraordinary time. So, uh, Mr Frydenberg said, I thank Scott Morrison for what he has done to our country, for leaving Australia in a stronger position than when he found it. All right, well, Peter Dutton. Will he lead the opposition? He's the former Defence Minister now, and he is the early favourite to become opposition leader after vanquished PM Scott Morrison vacated the Liberal Party leadership. The Queensland-based Peter Dutton, the Conservative standard-bearer for the party, had been expected to enter a ballot with Treasurer Josh Frydenberg for the leadership role in the event of a Liberal loss. But, as I mentioned, with Josh Frydenberg likely swept away by a teal tidal wave, Mr Dutton seems to have a clear run to the top. Uh, Peter Dutton would be expected to steer the party toward the right, a move that would likely please the Coalition's junior party, the Nationals. Now, Peter Dutton, 51 years of age, a former police officer and a small business owner with a business degree, entered Parliament back in 2001. A former Immigration and Home Affairs Minister, he has two kids with his wife Kiralee and a third child from his first marriage. Potentials for deputy could also include former Energy Minister Angus Taylor and former Assistant Defence Minister Andrew Hastie. Mr Dutton's seat of Dixon, north of Brisbane, is marginal and of course was under threat from Labor's Ali France, who run a brilliant campaign, but... The LNP expects it will swing back strongly in postal votes and Mr Dutton will be secure. What do you make of all of that? Let me know. 0406521250. And of course, as always, comments on the Facebook page. Marcus Paul in the morning on this Monday. If you like, you can give me a call. What's the number, Marcus? 0406521250. Anytime, 24-7. Call me on, have your say on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Show. On Starter FM. Alrighty, welcome back on this Monday morning, the 23rd day of May. Marcus Paul in the morning, live on starterfm.com.au on the iHeartRadio platform and, of course, also on the Prawncast. Hello, if you're listening to our podcast this morning, if you wouldn't mind, please give it a, a share on your social media. I want to de- uh, dedicate a lot of uh, the rest of the program to your comments 
uh, your feedback and what you've had to say via uh, our hotline 0406521250 and of course on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Facebook page. Uh, I put up a stack of content and stories of course over the weekend as we followed the federal election and uh, we received literally thousands of comments for which I thank you very much. So Let's have a look first. Who will become the next leader of the Federal Liberal Party of Australia? Will it be Peter Dutton? Will it be Angus Taylor or even Andrew Hastie? Well, James says, Marcus, if the election result doesn't teach them anything, it'll be Peter Dutton. Uh, Valentina writes, great, they can move the party further to the right and lose even more seats at the next election. That'll be great for Australians. Richard Mack, also not a fan, he says, let's hope it's Peter Dutton. With a Dutton-Joyce opposition, they will never win back the female and teal voters that cost them the election over the weekends. Brad writes, Marcus, the more they move to the right, the more they are going to shoot themselves in the foot, destroying possibly the party forever. It will only make the teal independents stronger. I hope they continue to become more extreme. Um... All right, well, James thought that Peter Dutton was likely to retain his seats. He goes on about the fact that there were 18,000 postal votes and 40-odd thousand pre-poll votes, and that will probably, uh, of course, save Peter Dutton and, I imagine, um, move him to the position of leader of the Federal Liberal Party. Uh, Lisa is a bit scathing in her response. Marcus, I don't know who it will be, but whoever it is, they will have to find the time to fit it in around their appearances at an upcoming Federal Independent Commission Against Corruption. Yeah, well, I guess we'll wait and see. All right, well, if you would like to comment, there's still plenty of opportunity to do so on the Facebook page. All right. What about your comments in relation to other issues? I said over the weekend yesterday, particularly on the Facebook page, that I believe Penny Wong will make an outstanding foreign minister. She is clearly one of Australia's most intelligent politicians. She's sharp as a knife in the Senate. She will also, I imagine, help soothe tensions with Asian nations, including China, of course, and restore our reputation with France. Well, five members of the Labor caucus will be the first ministers to be sworn in this morning ahead of a crucial overseas meeting with quad leaders, which is happening next week. Anthony Albanese, of course, as Prime Minister Penny Wong, Richard Miles, Katie Gallagher and Jim Chalmers will take the affirmation of allegiance today at Government House, led by the Governor-General of Australia, David Hurley. Albo, of course, will be sworn in as the 31st Prime Minister of Australia, with Miss Wong as the Foreign Minister, Mr Miles, likely our new Defence Minister, and Katie Gallagher, the Finance Minister, while Jim Chalmers will be Australia's new Treasurer. A lot of you are quite happy uh, with Penny Wong, uh, as am I. Tash writes, Marcus, she is an incredibly well-smoking, intelligent asset to the Albanese government. Australia might get their trade back with China now instead of talking war all the time and trying to score political points, says James. Shep says, Marcus, actually, yes. Shout out to Macron for calling in his own French way Scott Morrison out to be a liar, and rightfully so. I imagine he may enjoy the result as much as we did over the weekend. 
All right, uh, Sean says, Marcus, yes, I agree with you. Penny Wong is smart, experienced, articulate. In my opinion, we'd be better off with her in the lower house so she could be a prime minister. But at the end of the day, it's the party, not the person. I've watched her for years and I'm keen to see her in action in government. Not everybody is happy and and that's okay. It's a democracy and all the rest of it. Uh, Daryl writes, she, like China, will not make a good foreign minister at all. Righto, (laughs) Daryl. Or is it Daryl? I think it's Daryl. Yeah, well, look, that's okay. Um, uh, Alan says, let's wait and see. And uh, to which I replied, well, mate, have you seen her in the Senate? I'm talking about Penny Wong in Senate Estimates. Clearly, in my opinion, the most intelligent politician we have in the country. I I still think she will soothe the China issue and resurrect our ties with France. Um, I mean, Alan does mention, uh, do you forget the Kimberley Kitching bullying incident that was not investigated? Um, Well, yeah, I mean, you make a point. Yes, absolutely. However, that was the decision that was made by the new Prime Minister. He now has a mandate. Uh, Look, I agree that, um, you know, it'll be difficult, absolutely. But I think Penny Wong will be an outstanding foreign minister. I really do. Okay, uh, I'll get into more of uh, the fallout from the federal election in in a couple of moments. What about One Nation? Dear, oh, dearie me. Should be called No Nation. Is Pauline Hanson finished? She's at risk of losing her Senate spot with Queensland voters overwhelmingly turning toward the Greens in the election over the weekend. I'll get into that story in just a couple of moments. Marcus Paul in the morning. Hi, Marcus. Wow, elbow one, Marcus. Elbow one. Can you believe the most unpopular guy won the popularity contest? The guy that can't get himself a hot wife. He actually won the race of all the women. Mate, you must be pretty happy, Marcus. I'll tell you what. And you deserve to be happy because Elbow's being your man. So good on you. Yeah, you picked the right side. Friendly Geordie is legit in the right direction. Well done, mate. Oh, come on, Elbow. So now, because, you know, you were the man responsible for Elbow being elected in this country, Marcus, because Marcus, without your support and without all the porny support all the little radical leftist red shirts out there, without you, Elbow wouldn't have got, got across the line, mate. But, bloody hell. Now Elbow's in. Guess what, Marcus? That means everybody's life has to get markedly better year on year on year going forward from now. And I'm talking about in four years, you've got to look back and say, well, I'm four times better off than I was four years ago. Because remember, that's what Albo's promised. I don't think Albo will be able to live up to the standards that he set for himself. And you know that, I know that, everyone knows that, but you didn't care because to you, this is team sports and labour. I just wonder, Marcus. How do you feel about bloody pain for your teeth a week before Elbow, your man, becomes Prime Minister? And one of his main promises, which he didn't give, but he should because he doesn't care for people, is to put teeth in people's heads just like yourself, mate. Am I fired up? Yeah, I'm fired up. Why am I fired up? Because they've got a bloody C-grade average student being Prime Minister, being leader of a nation of 25 million people. The guy's not the best guy in a room full of 100 guys. How the hell is he the best guy in 10 million guys? I've got no idea. You people hated ScoMo so much you were quite happy to bring in Albo, okay? This wasn't an election of who's the good guy. This was an election of who do I dislike the least 
out of these two bozos. And because of the brain-dead Labor idiot, we're going to have this guy, and he's selling us out to globalists, the New World Order, the Great Reset. What do you want to start, Marcus? Are we going to start ticking up a few of these things, mate? I haven't even got fired up yet, buddy. I haven't even given you the entree yet. I'm just setting the table, Marcus. But there's plenty of conversations to be had here. Most importantly, when's Elbow going to give you a bloody rebate through Medicare Dental? Do you think you just got sick? Hey, and did you see the same dentist that Elbow sort of get his veneers put in a while ago? Congratulations, buddy. Elbow! Stop it. Stop it. Get some help. It's not sensible. Yeah, nice to have you company. Marcus Paul in the morning on this 23rd day of May. Um, A big wash-up from the weekend's federal election. One Nation, or should we now refer to it as No Nation, is Pauline Hanson done? Look, I will put on the record, as you know, I I interviewed Pauline over a number of years. Um, Politically, we butted heads. I have the utmost respect for Pauline Hanson, as I do... You know, mostly uh, for for anyone who enters politics, I believe they do it because their heart is in the right place. And we look in a democracy, we're going to have differing opinions. I understand that, and I appreciate that. I didn't entirely agree with everything Pauline Hanson had to say, and usually I found her ideals around race and all the rest of it to be extreme. However. I, I believe she did play a, a, a vital role in keeping the you know the former government now in uh, well I guess in some way uh, to account even though quite often one nation would side with the government in the Senate. However, uh, like I say, I preempt to my next comments and your feedback with um, by saying that uh, I have always admired Pauline Hanson. Anyone who, you know, is basically jailed and then released, you know, due to her political convictions uh, will always have my respect. But Pauline is at risk of losing her Senate spot with Queensland voters overwhelmingly turning, turning toward the Greens during this election. The One Nation founder is fighting to hold on to a spot with tally results as of yesterday morning, putting her behind Queensland Greens candidate Penny Almond-Payne. Now, the Senator, Pauline Hanson, who spent election day in isolation after testing positive to COVID-19 last weekend, was well short of a quota on election night, Saturday night. One Nation had polled just 7.8% of the Senate vote, as of yesterday morning, significantly trailing the Greens, who had an incredible 14%. All right, well, a lot of you, obviously not fans of One Nation or Pauline Hanson, uh, particularly my followers, James writes, Marcus, I should hope so. One Nation, in my opinion, brings nothing to the table, and they never have. Jeff writes, will this be the end of One Nation? We can only hope so. Um, guess the silent majority voted to be heard this time, says Jeremy. The far right have to realise eventually that they are a very vocal minority. All right, Jeremy, thank you. Uh, and Bethany writes, Marcus, One Nation is getting smashed by the legalised cannabis party in many states, for goodness sake. Okay, well, what do you make of it? Pauline Hanson, there's still plenty of time for you, and One Nation, in fact, uh, plenty of time for you to comment on our Facebook page. 
Evan is, well, he's scathing. And yet every election, these clowns will come out carrying on how relevant they are and how they are about to change history. What a joke. They live in a fantastical land of delusion enveloped in arrogance. Okay. (laughs) All right, from one nation to the United Australia Party. Boy, oh boy. Clive Palmer, $100 million later, and what stuff all to show for it. Yeah, stuff all. Uh, What do you make of Clive? Um, Do you think next time he should just butt out of our democratic process? I think he should, Uh, you know, and Craig Kelly is gone, thank goodness. That's the one good thing about Clive Palmer's United Australia Party. It got Kelly away from the Liberals and onto that uh, ticket and, of course, voted out of office. Yep, Clive Palmer, $100 million later and not a skerrick to show for it. What do you make of that? Let me know. 0406521250. Or, of course, you can comment on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Facebook page. If you like, you can give me a call. What's the number, Marcus? 0406521250. Anytime, 24-7. Call me. I'll have your say on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Show. On Starter FM. Marcus, let's wait and see what happens. Tomorrow, mate. You're obviously such a bloody nervous wreck. You haven't been able to come on radio for the last three days because you're terribly afraid you'll say something wrong which will take votes away from the elbow, so you don't want to step in it. I get it, mate. But I think we should address something. And I think it should be put on the table. And I think we should be big enough to be able to look at it and say, well, yeah, we either got that one right or we got that one wrong. So you decided you were going to change your entire ideology as a 50-year-old man when a young fella named Friendly Geordies took the piss out of you with his little prawn minions on YouTube. Took the piss out of you, mate, pulled your pants down, spanked you around and made you look like an absolute... So then you thought, oh, this is good, I'll debate this young fellow. Then he came on your show and he basically just took the piss big time and then you decided, well, I've got to join with these leftists and then I'll become a lefty and then I'll become a robot. And he's hello, I'm Marcus Paul and the Labor Party is going to be good because they're not the Liberal Party. Elbow. And you became that guy, mate. But if Elbow doesn't win tomorrow, what the hell did you become that guy for? Why did you push all those conservatives, those right-wiggers? Why did you push them onto the side, mate? When the right-wiggers are the majority of the country, mate. You want to battle for minorities, mate. Battle for the minority of ideas, Marrakesh. Not the minority of bloody progressivism. Have a lovely weekend, mate. I look forward to watching the tally and see someone's heartbreak tomorrow night. Don't know who's going to be. It'll be someone. Bye, buddy. Okay, welcome back, Marcus Paul. In the morning, a special edition of the program this morning with all the wash-up of the federal election from the weekend. Anthony Albanese will be sworn in as Australia's 31st Prime Minister this morning, as you know. What of the $100 million spent by Clive Palmer? and his United Australia Party. 100 million bucks and almost nothing to show for it. I say almost because at least he attracted that loose cannon and ex-liberal Craig Kelly to his fold and then had him turfed out. Um, more money than sense, say some people. Why? Which won't hurt you or harm you, will be used to lock you down and to keep you, keep you locked down. So that, that's what's coming to this country. Why? Thanks for that. Why? 
Clive Palmer's mammoth campaign spend of close to $100 million has failed to deliver his party results, with its primary vote falling or failing to reach 5% across the country. In both regional and metropolitan areas, the United Australia vote increased slightly to around 4.7% and was strongest in Queensland, expected, uh, of course. Where it polled close to 6%. But, as expected, the party did well in outer suburban areas that were hit particularly hard by the pandemic, with it polling around 10% in the seats of Holt, McMahon, Corwell, Bruce Wright, Ford and Scullin. But, of course, Craig Kelly, gone. As I mentioned, Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party polled higher than the United Australia Party, recording around 6% of primary votes nationally. The party this year stood in almost all lower house seats, boosting the count at the 2019 election when Palmer's campaign was credited with helping erode Labor's primary vote. With its campaign against Bill Shorten, the party recorded a primary vote of 3.4%. Now, UAP's leader, Craig Kelly, who defected from the Liberals to sit on the crossbench, managed to secure just 8% of the primary vote. With the southwest seat of Hughes going back to the Liberals. Palmer has spent, as you know, tens of millions of dollars in the lead-up to the election campaigning on the issue of freedom and opposing COVID vaccine mandates and lockdowns. He has also campaigned strongly against both major parties, urging voters to put the Liberal and Labor parties last. In the final days of the campaign, Palmer accused the major parties of wanting to give up control of Australia's health department to the Chinese-controlled World Health Organisation. And, of course, he spent up big. A double-page newspaper advertisement across the country, he also bought out blocks of commercial television airtime. They will control our lives. Unelected foreigners controlling Australia, not on our watch, Clive Palmer said. All right, well, ahead of the election, Craig Kelly said he was hopeful of picking up seats in the outer suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne that have been hit particularly hard by COVID lockdowns. He told Australian Associated Press, whatever the result is, we'll be able to hold our heads high because we'll be on the right side of history. (laughs) Okay. But while it was able to increase its vote in many of these seats, its vote has failed to influence the outcome. Labor... MP Julian Hill, good friend of the program, will speak to Julian this week. He holds the seat of Bruce. He described Clive Palmer's party as a giant, a giant preference scam to help Scott Morrison remain in power. The United Australia campaign, the most expensive in Australian electoral history, may have contributed to the record vote for minor parties and independents at this election, with the Labor Party's primary vote at 32%, as you know, and the LNP coalition with a primary vote at 34%. And don't forget, those on the right will continue to uh, be very salty about this and ram that point home uh, for months and months to come. Or they get over their election loss. Oh, how can how on earth can Albo form a majority government with 32% and the coalition at 34%? Well, quite simply, preferences. Nobody kicked up a stink. Well, I guess we did. Um, those on the left did. <laughs> when Palmer helped, of course, eradicate 
the Labor vote in the last election. Now things have turned around and have effectively supported Labor ahead of the LNP with, of course, a massive swing toward the Teal independence. And it's fair to say that Clive Palmer certainly had a lot to do with that. Marcus Paul in the morning. If you like, you can give me a call. What's the number, Marcus? 0406521250. Anytime, 24-7. Call me on, have your say on the Marcus Paul in the morning show. On Starter FM. Alrighty, welcome back, Marcus. Paul in the morning. I'll get to more of your comments uh, on the federal election result from our Facebook page and from the hotline 0406521250 very soon. Uh, one of the good news stories out of this election, of course, is that the Tamil family fighting for years to return to the Queensland town of Biloela are set to be allowed to go home under the new Labor government. The party promised during the election campaign the Murugappan family, Priya, Nadis and their two girls, Kopika and Thanika, would be able to return to their beloved town if Labor won. Labor member for the Division of Brand in Western Australia, Madeline King, reiterated that promise yesterday. She could not say how long it would take to get them home, but she was sure it would be a priority for an Anthony Albanese government. I understand they have a community in Biloela that adores them, she said. Uh, Murugappan family friend and longtime campaigner Angela Fredericks says she called them on Saturday night to share the news of Anthony Albanese's victory. Many happy tears were shed, she said. We now believe that this long, painful saga can finally come to an end. This family has been away from their home for more than four years. They should never have been taken from the town that loved and needed them, she said. As they make the long journey to Biloela to resume their lives there, they also commence a journey of recovery and healing. Well, we know the story here. The family who escaped Sri Lanka by boat from a protracted ethnic conflict targeting the minority Tamils were given temporary protection visas, but uprooted from Biloela by authorities back in March 2018 and placed in a Melbourne detention centre. They were then detained on Christmas Island in August 2019 and placed in community detention in Perth after their youngest daughter Tharnika's medical evacuation in June 2021 with a blood infection. Priya, Nadis and Kopi have been granted bridging visas, allowing them to remain in the country, but Tharnika, of course, wasn't given one. Now, that ensured the family remained in detention in Perth, with their 12-month visas set to expire in September. Now, the family friend, Miss Federicks, said the family strength has always been at the heart of the Biloela-led campaign to return them to the town. Hundreds of thousands of Australians have opened their hearts to this family. We know Priya is incredibly grateful to every single member of the Australian community who've supported her. It's time to bring Priya, Nadi's copy and Thani home to Bilo. Family friend and Biloela local, Bronwyn Dendel, said campaigners were waiting for a new immigration minister to be sworn in so they could start working out the logistics of getting the family back. She said yesterday, we're very much just breathing again and feeling relieved that our little family is going to come home.
The family has garnered support across, as you know, the political spectrum, especially from independent candidates including Monique Ryan, Jane Caro and Kylie Tink. Uh, even, I have to, I, I should add, the former Deputy Prime Minister of Australia, Barnaby Joyce. The one person who didn't want them returned to Billow is gone. Well, certainly gone as the bloke who put them there, and I'm referring to Peter Dutton. He may well be the federal opposition leader come, you know, uh, this week. But he should hang his head in shame. Absolutely. Uh, it was just a an over-the-top political manoeuvre and stunt that has done nothing but harm the mental health of these young children and also upset many, many Australians, many hundreds of thousands, I would hasten to add probably a lot more than that, who thought that our government had treated this family abominably, and they absolutely had. So this Tamil family that's fought for years to return to Queensland's Biloela will be allowed to go home under the new Anthony Albanese Labor government. Thank God for that. Marcus Paul in the morning. Hey, g'day, Marcus. Mate, I'm not sure what the heck's going on down there, what you're trying to call or do, but I thought you've got a radio show, and I thought Albo is your most favourite man in the entire world. And you've got your grand final Saturday, and you go missing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You then blame that on not having a producer. Mate, you can walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. What the hell do you mean you need a producer for your show? You sit there in front of a microphone, you have your computer there, you record, mate. Pretty simple. You're making mountains out of molehills with this gig, mate. Everything's too hard. We still haven't even bloody got a phone. We're still doing voicemail for back radio. Pull your finger out. I think he's gone missing because you know Elbow's done and dusted tomorrow, mate. And that means come Monday when there's other four years of ScoMo, or God forbid, some UAP people, what are you going to bang on about? Are you going to continue whinging on about do your show, stream it live, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Yes, Dunnerpin can also carry your show if they need to, mate. You need a producer. That's a bloody laugh, Marcus. The internet's there. Read the stories. All you do is pretty much verbatim read news anyway, mate. Come on, Marcus. Get better. I'm your number one fan. I expect much better. Monday morning, Marcus Paul in the morning. Great to have your company. Look, I just want to move away from the federal election for a moment or so. And there was a, a story written in the newspapers over the weekend that caught my attention. And it, it talked about uh, Western Sydney suburbs having lost their soul. And there's a list of these suburbs that are in desperate need of a buzz. Corner stores, writes Ben Pike for News Limited. Corner stores used to be the hubs of local communities. But huge Western Sydney housing developments are lacking the facilities that bring people together. Well, I agree with him. He writes, Lara Davis is so sick of living in a boring suburb filled with endless rows of houses and very little else that she's moving her family out. And apparently she's not the only one. 
with calls for Western Sydney to bring back the corner store and breathe some life into many solar suburbs. Experts say it's a problem that's been highlighted by COVID lockdowns and new habits of working from home where people have discovered their suburb seems to be just a dormitory for more interesting places. If there were cafes, small shops and more of a buzz, we might have hung around. But that's not here, Miss Davis said. It's driving me nuts living here. Miss Davis has decided to quit Box Hill and take her two kids to the Central Coast. Box Hill, a housing development haven for many, uh, many McMansions and all the rest of it. Look, the houses are beautiful, but I agree. It's kind of soulless. You know, it's every street looks the same. Almost every house, identical. I'm not criticising uh, the homes. The builds are, are beautiful and the houses themselves are lovely. But it's the suburbs that they create that seem to have a sameness about them, I think. I agree. Business Western Sydney has identified 15 suburbs in desperate need of some retail therapy. In a first-of-its-kind study, the group has mapped out areas where small retail footprints would would give populated areas a boost. And here are the areas they're talking about. Well, Box Hill that we mentioned. Denham Court. Mount Annan, Glenfield, South Parramatta, South Granville, Bow Boeing and Marylands. They're some of the areas identified as needing a small retail, um, even though in some cases there were nearby shopping centres. Business Western Sydney Executive Director David Borger says, clearly there are many pockets in Western Sydney that are undershopped. It's about bumping into neighbours and having a chat. I think those neighbourhoods are safe. I think... People feel happier living in those places because they're not anonymous. We've got to move away from this notion that huge tranches of the suburbs are for houses only. Now, Mr Borger is challenging local and state governments to team up with retailers to deliver 100 small retail precincts in Sydney suburbs that are otherwise covered with homes. I mean, these could include bakeries, bars, beauty salons, cafes, convenience stores, laundries, liquor stores, pet stores, pharmacies, post offices, gee whiz, they're disappearing, aren't they? Restaurants and smaller kind of supermarkets. Mr Bordier, a former Labor Minister for Roads, Western Sydney and Transport, also called on councils to review their planning rules to ensure a local retail centre is supported by a critical population mass to then attract retail investment. Areas like Albert Street in North Parramatta have benefited from one such investment. The precinct was established 12 years ago after two fibro houses made way for a new retail area. It now has a small supermarket, a physio, recruitment centre and the container cafe. The cafe is very homely and suburban and what people like is that they often see each other up there, according to the owner, George. The neighbouring house, uh, neighbouring businesses also feed off each other. Every day during the pandemic, people kept saying, we're so glad you're still open. I think the pandemic has taught us how important local retail is. Planning expert uh, and group director of Astrolab, Michael Cominos, said an increasing number of stay-at-home workers want their local areas to have more of a buzz during the day. The pandemic has shifted the focus back to suburbs. He says corner stores were previously common, 
but have been swallowed in recent years by bigger shopping centres and service stations, which have become convenience stores. Expensive convenience stores, I might add. If we don't cater to this growing need for a daytime economy in suburban areas, we are at risk of losing populations to the regions. I'll go through some more suburbs in need of a buzz. It is recommended that these suburbs are the focus for new retail centres in Western Sydney. Box Hill, as I mentioned, Denham Court, Spring Farm near Campbelltown, Mount Annan also in the MacArthur, Glenfield, St Clair, Kellyville, Horningsea Park, Hinchinbrook, Rossmore, South Parramatta, South Granville, Marylands, North Parramatta and Bow Boeing. Another suburb on the list, as I mentioned, is Mount Annan near Camden in Sydney southwest. Camden councillor and former mayor Eva Campbell said the area has suffered because Norellan Town Centre has become completely oversized, sucking the life out of surrounding areas. She said Mount Annan was originally going to be a district centre because it was centrally located between Currens Hill and Norellan Vale. Mount Annan Shopping District is inaccessible be- instead of having parking centrally located. It's all over the place. I might as well knock it down and start again, she said. Mrs Campbell said the state government has allowed market forces to determine what people get. She says centres like Norellan Town Centre and Oran Park Centre go for bigger, uh, being better, um, but they've damaged the viability of the smaller retail centres, which can cater for local people and mean they do not have to travel far to get in there. Okay, so essentially what they're saying is they need more corner stores. Like most people living in Western Sydney, David Borger writes... I found the experience of the lockdown last year isolating. Unable to escape the five kilometre bubble, the one saving grace in my case was that we have a neighbourhood retail within a few steps of our house, including a fantastic cafe and a grocery store. Sadly, most of Western Sydney misses out on these local amenities. The further you uh, venture west, the greater the distance you have to travel to your nearest shop. Our new report shows that Western Sydney lacks retail you can walk to. If we are going to create livable neighbourhoods, we need to create areas that contain these critical amenities, cafes, restaurants and grocery stores. Up until the Second World War, most cities were built assuming that people would need to walk to where they wanted to go. Following the explosion of car ownership, we stopped organically allowing local shops to form. Town planners have since used land zoning rules to tie up the things that we need in our everyday lives. Even today, the vast majority of Sydney is zoned to ban local neighbourhood retail. Yet we know that people living in suburbs with high walkable amenity to local shops not only find them more convenient, But also, these local shops help to build a sense of community. You see your neighbours. You hear their heartaches. You talk about their kids, their pets, and even life milestones. This sort of social capital is hard to create. And it's not just the local shops that we're missing out on. Other amenities, like the local pub, just don't feature on our streets in newer suburbs. The great thing about bringing back the corner store is that it doesn't cost the public anything. It simply means using data to pinpoint where these stores will be viable and changing the colour on a zoning map. 
It's time that our town planners and local governments look for these opportunities to create great lively neighbourhoods by bringing back the local shops. Like all big cities, Sydney is increasingly becoming an apartment city. That's great for housing choice and even affordability. But without a walkable community hub, especially in mature development areas, be it a cafe, corner store or takeaway shop, we will continue to lose our interconnectedness within the community. The old saying is that it takes a village to raise a child. But without providing local walkable opportunities to meet others in our suburban villages, we will lose that sense of community that we all want. Well, I think that's well written. Well done to David Borger, uh, Business Western Sydney's Executive Director. I agree. What say you? Let me know. 0406521250. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, Marcus Paul in the morning, live on starterfm.com.au, the iHeartRadio platform, and of course, tune in. And if you're listening on the Prawncast, g'day to you on this 23rd day of May. Well, it was a private union that blossomed during a love bubble, but now... Incoming Prime Minister Australia's 31st, Anthony Albanese and Jodie Hayden are Australia's most high-profile couple. How did Anthony find love with Jodie? A story written uh, by Ellen Winnett yesterday caught my attention and uh, I thought I'd reiterate it here. For the first few months, Jodie Hayden thought life was pretty normal, or as normal as it could be under COVID restrictions. She'd quietly begun dating Prime Minister-elect and then Federal Opposition Leader Anthony Albanese back in late 2019, and the pair spent lockdown getting to know each other away from public scrutiny. They hung out together at home in Sydney, cooking, binging on television shows like Ted Lasso and Mayor of Easttown, and learning each other's music tastes. Anything on Triple J for Albo, the Who and Bruce Springsteen for Jody. For Hayden, who's now 43, it was a chance to see whether this relationship, her first in years, was one she wanted to pursue. Anthony Albanese, now 59, was also taking things slowly, still processing the sudden breakdown of his 30-year relationship, 19 of those years married, to former New South Wales Deputy Premier Carmel Tebbit on January the 1st of that year. Hayden says of the first few quiet months of early 2020, we were in a bit of a bubble. It might be naive on my part, but I think because we had that time together during COVID, we were going under the radar and I cherished that time and I think we needed that to build the foundation for our relationship. I probably, in some respects, went into it with a false sense of security that I was in a really normal relationship, and it wasn't until we were photographed that I realised, yep, this is going to be very, very different. In June 2020, with lockdowns and border closures lifting, Jody and Albo were photographed on a dinner date at China Doll Restaurant in Woolloomooloo. The photos appeared a few days later in the Sunday Telegraph. The relationship previously known only to Hayden's close friends and family and some of Albanese's Labor colleagues and confidants was now suddenly quite public. Now, Jody Hayden had never been in the newspaper before. 
While they were comfortable with the story which later appeared, the whole experience was a confronting one for Hayden, who had to call her boss and tell her a story was about to appear about her relationship. They also had to tell her parents that photographs were about to be published of the pair having a, a kiss in a restaurant. I'm actually a private person by nature, Hayden says. I don't think any ordinary person like me who's ever had a public profile really knows how to prepare for what's coming. But I had Anthony, who's really protective of me and reassuring, which I'm grateful for. Now, Hayden did not feature in Albanese's election advertising. She was travelling with him occasionally, but wasn't really effectively campaigning, unlike Scott Morrison's wife, Jenny. The pair agreed reluctantly to conduct their first and only detailed interview together because they accepted there is legitimate public interest in the alternate Prime Minister and his relationship. Hayden has previously only given a careful few words to a magazine. She says she intends to stay out of politics as best she can and will not be commenting on policies or offering political critiques. Anthony is the one here who was running for political office, not me. My job will be to focus on my day job and allow Anthony to focus on his. Well, who is Jody Hayden? Well, she's had a 20-year career in the superannuation industry and recently started a new role advocating for women in the workplace. She's lived and worked in Sydney and Melbourne, has a strong network of friends and professional colleagues and an independent, established identity of her own. But now she is also the partner of the incoming Prime Minister of Australia. As Albo has won, she will be Australia's equivalent to the US First Lady. So would she move with Albo into Kirribilli, the Prime Ministerial Harbourside Mansion in Sydney, where Scott Morrison and wife Jenny and two daughters recently lived? Will she take up residence in the lodge where the Prime Minister lives when in Canberra? Well, in her original interview, she said she wasn't getting ahead of herself when it comes to thinking about those things. She said they were taking things day by day, and she hadn't contemplated it at that point. Look, it is extremely rare in Australian politics for a new partner to arrive on the scene when a politician is, such, is at such a critical point in their career. Typically, political partners have been around for years and have been able to slowly adjust to the increased scrutiny as their partner climbed the ranks from backbench to the front bench and, in Anthony Albanese's case, to incoming Prime Minister. There's been simply no easing into it for Jody Hayden, who has quickly learned her words and actions will now be viewed differently and potentially weaponised in the heat of political battle. It's been a rapid adjustment, or acceleration as she calls it. She says, I think with all relationships, there's always an element of compromise. She said she was going through an adjustment of being single for a long time to being in a relationship and learning how to be considerate and to care for another person, and that this, and that there's this other layer of complexity which is being more cautious. Anyway, on it goes. I think it was a, a pretty good interview originally with Jody. I'll be interested to see whether she does uh, come out and make some comments. She was there on Saturday night, of course, with Anthony Albanese and Penny Wong when he made his uh, acceptance speech. Um, what about a family? Well, Hayden says the Central Coast will always be home for her. Her parents are retired there and her grandmother still lives there. Um, let's have a look 
Claire is 93 and she rings into Triple M Central Coast into their morning show, Albo says. Uh, Hayden confirmed this, saying a grandma had gone out during COVID to collect a Mitre 10 vouchers she won on a local radio program. She's hilarious. She's on Facebook. She FaceTimes us, even though we might only see the top of her head. She's the matriarch of our big extended family. Uh, Jody went on to say the Central Coast is a really important part of my upbringing. In many ways, it's very much part of my DNA. I really feel it was a small town in many ways. Everyone knew everybody and I still feel very connected to the Central Coast. Interestingly, the Hayden family votes Labor and always has, always has done so. Uh, they watched the ABC News every night, Four Corners, the 7.30 report, and politics was definitely dinner table conversation. Well, I can tell you right now, it certainly will continue to be dinner time conversation with Jody's family, considering that their daughter is now Australia's new first lady. Marcus Paul in the morning. What am I, a method actor, Hans? <laughs> Babe, put away the gun. This is radio, not television. Alrighty, well, that just about wraps up the show for today. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for being there on starterfm.com.au on the iHeartRadio platform. Tune in, and if you're listening back on the Prawncast, well, please feel free to, to share it on your social media as we continue to grow our audience. Plenty to say um, on Facebook. Please follow our content there, and I do appreciate the many thousands of comments that my followers have made over the, the course of the weekend, the election weekends. I think our engagement levels are through the roof, the highest they've been uh, since we started this whole new thing. All right, the Prawncast will be up online a little later. Um, thank you again uh, for being a part of it today, and and I hope that um, you gain some insight into what happened over the weekend, how we got to where we are with the new Prime Minister, a new Labor government, leading Australia into what will be obviously a very difficult future. There's much work to do. Absolutely there is. And of course, we will continue to uh, to hold the government to account, even though it's changed colour from blue to red. You can mark my words on that, uh, that we will continue to hold those in power accountable. All right, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll catch up with you tomorrow. Marcus Paul in the morning here on starterfm.com.au. Bye for now. All right, mate, this is Mr. Goodies. If you like, you can give me a call. What's the number, Marcus? 0406521250. Anytime, 24 7. Call me on, have your say on the Marcus Paul in the morning show. On. Starter FM.